You're listening to The Range, Gardner-Webb University streaming and on-demand radio. Jeff in with you, along with Matthew Tessner, the big sports fan. It is time for our weekly sports conversation. More of you enlighten me and I listen than conversation, but here we go. You know, it's been, as you could say this every year, I guess it's been a big year in sports, but a lot has, has happened. So I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense to spend the next week or two talking about, you know, the year in review. Yeah. So let's yeah. start off this week with professional sports. Yeah, and I think uh, it's by the way of year in review, the year that was will also produce interesting stories here as we come to a close. And so Although, think, yeah, the year's not over. <laughs> no, it's not. And I think in a way, our year in review will also be a look ahead at what's gonna what's gonna be the big stories for us. And uh, so yeah, I'd kind of like to start with baseball. You know, one of the one of the craziest things and and most exciting things that happened all year was the Cubs winning the World Series. That of was something course. that even drew you. Into the, I mean, that's so historic. Yeah, yeah, 108 years in the making, uh, and they've come up short so many times. So as we go into the offseason with baseball, uh, historically in baseball, uh, the offseason player movement is referred to as the hot stove. Have you ever heard of the hot stove? That's news to me. Yeah, the, the hot stove is is kind of a, a take on wintertime, uh, the, the created image that guys are sitting around a hot stove back uh, in the day uh, talking about their baseball teams. Gotcha. It's things that went well, things that haven't gone well. Um, and so this, this year, I think uh, the hot stove conversation is who's going to chase the Cubs uh, moving forward because their roster is, I think, still mostly intact moving into next year there's a lot of young talent on that roster and I think that's going to produce a race for uh, trying to get the bats and the pitching to compete with them and unfortunately I think so far in this offseason they have uh, in Major League Baseball a series of winter meetings where they get their general managers their owners together uh, and you know they talk about policies and things like that uh, as they do in all the pro sports but it's the time also when all the major player movement happens yeah, for yeah. the most part here early really before the winter actually technically begins. And so there have been a couple of moves made already. Uh, the Cubs have added another talented pitcher. Uh, the Red Sox have added a couple of players in Boston. And so I think there's going to, to definitely be an arms race at people trying to stockpile talent and resources to chase the Cubs next year. Um, and, and, you know, I think the thing that's interesting to me, uh, looking at the hot stove and, and the player movement, I don't know that we have any big names necessarily. Folks who are even just the casual baseball fan are going to say, oh, yeah, I know that. That's a huge signing by that that team. Uh, the biggest signing so far, I think, has been a Cub uh, who was traded from the Yankees to the Cubs last year, Aroldis Chapman, a relief pitcher, going back and signing with the Yankees now. And so he's he's going back to New York to join them. Uh, and he signed this huge, like, five-year, $85 million deal. And he's a relief pitcher. And, you know, they were talking about how – he'll make like $300,000 per inning pitched on that contract. <laughs> and there have been a lot of stories about the Yankees will regret that because there were times that he was a little bit of a surprising weak link for the Cubs in the playoffs. He, he wasn't able to hold leads a couple of times when he came into the game uh, with the Cubs needing to shut the door. And so that's been an interesting signing, you know, uh, kind of the, the Cubs closer going back to the Yankees. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, the Yankees, of course, always looking to get back up to the, to the pinnacle of baseball. They're, they've won more World Series than anybody, but 
uh, the hot stove, I think, has been somewhat quiet so far here in the offseason. But, um, you know, kind of a last note on baseball for, for these months here before spring training begins. Uh, you've got to look, I think, back at the longest droughts again uh, now in baseball uh, because there are some really long ones and significant ones, although nothing that comes close to matching 108 years with the yeah, Cubs yeah. or the 86 or so years with the Red Sox several years ago when they ended it or a similar number for the White Sox. The Cleveland Indians, who lost to the Cubs now at 68 years, are the, are the longest. Uh, the Pirates, Pittsburgh, it's been 37 years since they won a World Series. And then the others are the Orioles in Baltimore, 33 years, and the Detroit Tigers, 32 years. The Tigers won the World Series the year I was born that fall, <laughs> yeah. and they have not won since. They've yeah. been to the World Series once or twice. Um, so I think think watching those and seeing seeing streaks come to an end, it was sure fun with the Cubs, and now mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens with some of those other teams. Yeah, it will. Well, uh, moving on, NFL, uh, you know, kind of America's sport now, uh, moving from America's pastime that was to what seems to be America's sport still. The world sport, you know, arguably is soccer. Um, but here we play a different kind of football, and, and we're kind of in the last quarter of the NFL season. And really the thing that, that stood out to me uh, is a very simple note uh, and a measuring stick of who's winning and who's losing is the record on the road for some of the teams in the NFL this year. The Cowboys, Patriots, and Raiders, all three of them, they have the best records in the NFL. All three are undefeated on the road this year. Hmm. Um, none of them are undefeated overall. They've lost a game or two at home, at home, but they've won all their games on the road. If you look at the flip side of it, the three worst teams in the league, the Browns, 49ers, and Jaguars, are winless on the road. Ah. And so I, I think really when I look at, you know, say the Panthers or any team that I'm pulling for in the NFL, ideally you go 8-0 at home. You win all your home games. You've got that advantage. You're, you know, you, you – practice and you're in your house your own home during that week leading up to the game you've got your fans there uh, you should have all the advantages you could possibly have uh, so hopefully you win all those games you go on the road you know maybe you can earn a split if you're a really good team and go four and yeah. four or yeah. something so that'd give you a 12 and four record mm-hmm. you'd probably be one of the better teams in your conference so you know thinking about it kind of in reverse uh, teams that can go and be be you know not lose on the road uh, one that's good preparation for the playoffs if you end up having to play Play on the road. It's good that you know that you've had success in other stadiums, and you're not just relying on winning in your home stadium if you have to go somewhere else. Sometimes that's a nightmare if you're good at home and terrible on the road. Um, but then also, it's just um, you know I think an indicator of just a really really strong uh, coaching uh, success uh, from those teams. I think you really have to fight hard to win those games on the road because when you face adversity and you get down on the road, I think that's sometimes when you find out what kind of team do you have? Are they resilient you know you don't have those home fans there pumping you up trying to get you to come back mm-hmm. uh, so really just a telling statistic for me I think seeing the Cowboys Raiders and Patriots all being undefeated on the road uh, and then looking at the bottom and saying okay well the teams that can't win in general also can't win on the road um, so so kind of an interesting note and something to watch maybe here as we go into the last month of the NFL season speaking of which it's too early but are we going to see New England in the Super Bowl again you know, when you've got Tom Brady and Bill Belichick together, I think that's a combination that until one or both of those guys retires, hangs it up, or leaves the Patriots, I think it's always a possibility. Always a possibility. And I think they're just as good of a candidate as anybody. I think it would be a fascinating uh, Super Bowl to see the Patriots and the Cowboys, two teams that are, are very much hated 
uh, <laughs> among opposing fan bases. Yeah, they're, they are yeah. very much, you either love them or you hate them. There's yeah. no middle ground with those two franchises. Yeah. And it's kind of the 90s versus the 2000s in a way because mm-hmm. the Cowboys were the team team to beat in the 90s with Aikman and, and Emmett Smith and Michael oh, Irvin yeah. and all those guys that uh, Hall of Famers now. Uh, and, with you know, you've got the same thing with the Patriots, but on a smaller scale, it's not necessarily been a big three. If anything, it's been Tom Brady and his coach, Bill Belichick, that have hung around. Uh, that roster has changed so much through the years and and you know their their management has done a great job finding talent and continuing to just replace keeps guys winning. who leave keeps, so winning. keeps them winning so that would be kind of a battle of the decades kind of thing and and now even more kind of a battle of the decades or generations because brady's the elder statesman now in the league especially with peyton manning retiring last year uh and to see brady against dak prescott the cowboys rookie quarterback and yeah. rookie running back also Ezekiel that would make Elliott. an interesting matchup it'd be so interesting it, you know be guy guy going out of the league trying to win his fifth super bowl versus guys coming in the league hoping to win the first of many yeah. um and so yeah that'd be really interesting so yeah we're, we're early but certainly something that we could look forward to i mean i think the patriots have 10 wins and the cowboys 11 with a, a month to go in the season so you know i feel like it's pretty they would have to collapse to not finish at the tops of their conferences to finish strong yeah and, and maybe get home field advantage and of course anything can happen in the playoffs oh it sure can so. it sure can well kind of moving on to the nba uh you know the the big year was uh, yeah shooting some hoops the the year was Warriors Cavs. I mean that that was the last two NBA finals have been Warriors Cavs and uh, we saw the Warriors beat the Cavs and now we've seen the Cavs beat the Warriors. Uh, and now as this year closes and this basketball season is about a quarter of the way in, 20 or so games uh, out of the 82 game schedule or or in the books. Uh, you look at the conferences and at the top of the west is the Warriors and the top of the east is the Cavs and so we've got those same teams. If you look right behind them, it's the same set of teams that you've seen right behind them in the past. It's it's the Spurs, the Raptors, the Clippers, the Thunder. It's the same kind of teams up there. And the Hornets, by the way, have started out really well. Um, they're doing they're doing well. They're in the top half of the Eastern Conference. But uh, and looking. The Warriors, of course, added Kevin Durant, kind of the prize free agent in the offseason, to create this big four. Well, a lot of people would look at that team, and in looking at their big four, one of the uh, smaller names on that is Clay Thompson, uh, son of former NBA player Michael Thompson. And Clay, well behind Kevin Durant, behind Stephen Curry, uh, as far as being the star on that team, he put up 60 points in a game this week, kind of the third wheel on that team. And he uh, did that in three quarters. Pretty amazing to see somebody score 60 points in three quarters of a game, and it's a blowout, and so he comes out in the fourth and doesn't have a chance to score more. I think he was the first player in like 10 years since Kobe Bryant did it to score 60 points in three quarters of a game. So really, really strong. The other side of it for the Warriors, and, and maybe the most interesting story moving forward for them, beyond just how many games can they win and can they win a championship with all this star power, is what I guess I would term the flail controversy. Uh, The NBA kind of had the flopping controversy before. You know, folks that, that, that maybe get bumped or touched just slightly and then they go flying to the floor or flying into the stands trying to draw a foul, get to the free throw line and, and get points off of that and maybe foul a player out as well at the same time as a strategy. So we've moved now that we've we've gone from the flop to the flail and the flail is the, the Warriors Draymond Green. He has a tendency to kick 
his leg up, and he's kicked more than his share of players uh, in a variety of locations on their bodies. Uh, and it's been kind of a, a big question of, okay, well, th- to me, you know, folks were fined for flopping and falling all over the place. What, what about somebody who is seemingly using kicking as either a strategy or maybe just a reflex that's a really bad habit at best. Uh, And so a lot of players and coaches are are now starting to talk about Draymond Green's flailing and kicking Mm -hmm. and kicking their players in different places. And so he's he's become a little bit of uh, 1980s era Detroit Pistons, Bill Lambeer days, bad boy of the league. I think of, when I think of bad boys in the NBA, I think of Bill Lambeer with the Pistons, I think of Charles Barkley with the sons i think of dennis rodman with the bulls who was a sideshow in himself when he was in the league and it's a sideshow anywhere he goes really um and so uh now it's kind of draymond green who has taken over that bad boy uh image and he had enough i think technical fouls in the playoffs last year that he got kicked out he had to sit out a game i think during the finals um and so he's got a little bit of a temper, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, he's got such potential to help the Warriors be an even better team uh, than Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant make them. But and can Clay Thompson, when you can have a you know a third or fourth option for scoring, score sixty points in three quarters? Um, but it, I think can he keep his cool uh, headed through the season, and will he have suspensions and, and other issues that, that end up hurting the Warriors more than helping them? So that's that's what I'd like to watch because. It looks like we're on a path again for Cavs Warriors, which you know, if you if you're gonna do it twice, why not do it three times? I mean, in the '80s, the Lakers and Celtics seemed to meet every year, with the exception of the times when, you know, the Sixers uh, would get in there with Julius Irving, and then late in the decade when Michael Jordan started to make the Bulls a winner, and the Pistons with those bad boys were were a good matchup. So you know, we see that in decades where we yeah. see the same matchup. So right now we seem to be in the Cavs Warriors era. You get these dynasties they build yeah. up, and then you can't go on forever, and you see. You know, it's kind of like Game of Thrones. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it very much is. Well, kind of moving on to uh, to college sports real quick before we wrap up. Uh, you know, basketball season now. College basketball season's underway. Uh, Gardner Webb got their third straight win uh, over Hampton, uh, an NCAA tournament team, uh, a couple times in the last couple of years. Um, really, really uh, impressive home win for them. Uh, picking picking up that game, um, but we're also seeing uh, cross college basketball her- here early in the year. I think we're seeing what will in March be early NCAA tournament resume victories. They're always looking as they choose teams for the tournament, they seed teams for the tournament and decide where you play, who you play, what seed you are, uh, what kind of matchups and road to the national championship you might have. What, what's your resume of victories during the season? Who have you beat that impressed me, basically? The, you know, you need to impress the committee and put up some impressive wins. And so we've seen a couple of those that, that could come back to be that later in the year. Um, UCLA is expected to be back and be a pretty good team this year for the first time in a while. They beat number one Kentucky already now Kentucky rebuilds and has a group of freshmen that they have to get used to each year but still when you when you have a win against number one at any point in the year that's got to help you so that's good for UCLA Indiana has been really impressive they've already beat Kansas and North Carolina this year and they've made their home court there in Bloomington Indiana very difficult to play on and so I think we're starting to see some of those wins those statement wins that when we get to March the uh, college basketball pundits will say, "Oh yeah, this team has beat this team, this team, and this team." That's gonna that's gonna stand well for them as as they build their tournament resume and try to get a good seed. So that's been that's been entertaining here early. 
And I think definitely the consensus so far is best team in the country, Duke Blue Devils, again. Uh, they've got four incredible freshmen. A couple of them have been injured here early in the year and haven't even really been on the court much yet. Uh, and so I think with, with a guy named Grayson Allen, who's back for, I think, his third year, uh, kind of had a coming out party in the NCAA championship a couple of years ago and then really moved into a starring role last year for Duke. I think we're going to see the, the Duke Blue Devils with their youth and their experience. I think they're going to be – maybe they are the best team in the country moving forward uh and how often have we said you know duke you know the best team in the country i mean there's just always a good basketball team since coach k really i think set his set his uh ways into durham uh duke has been in the national championship conversation with the exception only with the exception of a, a couple of years um you know early 90s they won a couple championships they were contenders again in the late 90s and early 2000s then again in the late 2000s uh and, and then now in the what, what do we call this the 2010s the 2000 teens the teens, the teens. Uh, you know, which, you know, I think teens, I think back in the 19 teens. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems that they, they go through little periods of rebuilding, but they're always up there at the top. So yeah. And then a lot of those other teams I named are the same way. I mean, Indiana, Kansas, all those teams, Kentucky, it's the blue bloods as they like to call them for college basketball mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. seem to, to be the, at the best right now. Right. So we'll see how that all works out. We're really close to seeing uh, the year that was in college football wrap up. And we started 2016 with uh, Alabama and Clemson playing for the national championship. Alabama won that, roll tide, uh, defeated Go Tigers. Well, those are two of the four teams that are back uh, here in the college football playoff. I want to see that. I want to see them rematch. I want to see it again. We'll see. Um, Washington and Alabama play in the semifinal, and then Ohio State and Clemson play in the other semifinal. And so we very well could see one versus two. Alabama and Clemson again. Uh, if I had to make a prediction, uh, I'm I'm not the best prognosticator, but and I say that all the time because uh, I'm so often wrong. But it's fun to do anyways. I would pick Alabama and Ohio State. I think Ohio State, even though they lost to Penn State, who finished right behind them in the polls and and the rankings and won their conference actually and their division, the same division Ohio State and Penn State are in. I think uh, that win over Michigan uh, a few weeks back gave them a ton of momentum. Uh, and Urban Meyer, their coach, has been incredibly successful in building that program. He won a couple of national championships at Florida. Then he decided, I'm going to retire. Then he decided, no, I'm not going to retire. He comes back. He he goes to Ohio State, and he's had nothing but success since then. He's just he's just killed Michigan every year. Uh, it doesn't seem like Michigan can do anything about it in that rivalry. But I would. I'd have to pick Alabama, Ohio State. Ohio State has a lot of weapons. They're they're not loaded like they were last year, um, but I, I think the question at this point is, yeah, even you know, say say Alabama gets past Washington, whether they play Ohio State or Clemson, can anybody hang with Alabama? They won their conference championship game over Florida by thirty eight points, and uh, there have been some times this year where again they've just looked almost like a maybe a lower tier NFL squad out there playing against college athletes. It's just impressive what they do. It is. Which which is why I'm going to make a prognostication. It's going to be Alabama. It's going to be Alabama. Well, I'll join you in that and saying that Alabama is going to win the national championship. They are. And there was talk toward the end of that SEC championship game, Alabama and Florida. You know, they took their starters out, Alabama did, being up by that much. You don't want to get any injuries when you're trying to win a national championship and the game that you're currently in is over. Uh, Their next – 
wave or generation of five-star recruits that they've brought in was the group that came in as the uh you know the second or third stringers at the end of that game so you know introducing players that maybe here in the next couple of years are going to make alabama continue to be amazing but nick saban's chasing bear bryant uh for most college uh, you know football national championships and and to to be kind of king there at Alabama in football. Um, but also, you know, the thing that the thing that may be the scariest of all, Alabama's done what they've done this season, being undefeated and chasing another national championship with a true freshman quarterback. And I think maybe only one true freshman quarterback has ever led a team to a national championship wow. in college football before. I think it was somebody at Oklahoma That's years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's rare. You see a redshirt freshman occasionally. You know, somebody who comes in, they get a year, they don't have to play on the field, but they get to learn the plays, learn the program, learn the coaching mentality, and, and get used to being a student athlete. But somebody who steps out of high school one year and steps into college the next year, and they're number one, they're, they're undisputed number one at this point, being undefeated. Uh, I, I don't know how – that's that's some talent, some moxie. Yeah, I don't, that's just not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to need a couple of years. You're supposed to be junior-led or senior-led yeah. in chasing that national championship. That's not necessarily true for Alabama. Wow. So awesome topics, uh, and I'll just say that uh, next week we are planning on the big sports fan to kind of take a look back at the year that was at Gardner. You mean there's sports. planning that goes into this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you have to. Yeah, we don't. We we just sit down and talk, but we also kind of think about what okay. we're going to talk about. Right. That's very important. Uh, we're going to look at uh, kind of the uh, twelve bulldog gifts that were from Gardner Web Athletics in 2016. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There there are more than twelve. I'll I'll, I'll give you a spoiler there. There have to be more than twelve. You won't stop at twelve. I, yeah. I'm cheating a little bit. There are. Uh, multiple gifts within those 12 in some ah, cases <laughs> okay. all right well that's matthew Tesnier. if you got any questions comments for him please email us at the station info info at wgwg.org